Hello, people, and welcome to the Pursuing Perfect Podcast. This is Zach, Zachary Scott Godlip, and today I'm going to share with you a little bit more about me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, where I came from, how I was raised, a little bit about my background, and things that I've learned throughout this whole time. And just to give you a little bit of background on my experiences, what I've gone through, so you can have an understanding of my perspective so you can understand where I'm coming from, where I want to go. And uh, I just hope that this helps maybe connect with some people. And uh, I'm also doing this selfishly a little bit because I've never done this before. And I think it'll be interesting. But I also want to remind you guys to follow the podcast and also turn on your post notifications. So every time I post a new uh podcast you get a notification on your phone it's the it should look like a little bell on the spotify app so let's get started a little bit so a little bit about my story well this is gonna be a lot but it should be interesting i hope it's interesting i hope you find it uh engaging and i hope i communicate extremely well and i hope that this is in this is a story that you find interesting so here we go i was born in Lewis, Delaware, at BB Hospital, February 13th, 1995. I was born on, I believe it was a Monday, during a snowstorm in the morning. And uh, my mom, it was a very complicated pregnancy. I'm not going to get into all the details, but it was uh, it was very hard for her. She went through a lot of pain and suffering to have me. And so my mom loves me very much. Uh, she always says that I'm a blessing and I'm a gift from God because of what she went through to have me. So... Um, so yeah, that's that. Uh, my mom, Deborah Ann Godlip and Francis Scott Godlip is my dad. And they were, uh, I was, uh, supposed to be the middle child, uh, but I'm, I turned out to be an only child. So growing up was great. My parents did an amazing job from a young age, protecting my innocence, keeping me, uh, a child, keeping my perspective relatively small, but also engaging and so that I would be adventurous and I would go out and try things. And I was always outside, I was playing. And that, that I think is a really important concept in itself is just protecting a child's innocence as a parent and keeping them naive to the world, so to speak. They don't have to be exposed to things yet. They're going to get plenty of time to be exposed. And my parents just did an excellent job at doing that. They kept me protected, so to speak. They built a, a, a wall from the, the worldly things that can creep in on a child's brain and on their mentality and can really affect them negatively. So my parents did a great job at that. I went to an elementary school. I went to a private Christian school from kindergarten through sixth grade. And it was amazing. It was amazing. A lot of people hear private Christian school and they think that we were rich or anything. But my parents were not rich. We don't come from money. Uh, it was a huge sacrifice financially to send me there. Um, but they believed in the values and the principles that that school would teach me. And it was amazing. I had a lot of variety. I had a ton of adventure. They taught me things like critical thinking, about problem solving. They made it fun. We were disciplined. We had field trips. There was a faith component, obviously, being a Christian school. But we were taught values and principles that were lifelong lessons that I'll never forget. And we we did things like wearing a uniform every day, which teaches you discipline. And I remember as a child, I used to, every day I would 
set out my clothes for the next day. And I would, uh, I had this rocking bear and I would always set my pants up, my shirt and my shoes and my socks and everything out. So the next morning I was organized and ready to go for the day. Um, just funny how I did that from a young age. I think I learned that from my dad. Um, cause he used to do that as well. He used to set all his clothes out and he still does to this day, as a matter of fact. But, um, yeah, so we learned a lot of values. I mean, even going to chapel a couple times a week and, uh, just having, just having fun with it though. It was never, it was never a drag. It was never, it was always fun and engaging and adventurous. We went on tons of field trips. We had, uh, retreats. We had tons of things that were just so much fun. And I really look back on that time and I realized the importance of those values and those principles setting a foundation for me. And I believe that all parents should do that for their children to set them up for life. And it won't be easy. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily, um, cheap or there's a, there's a cost, but whenever there's a cost for something, you have more buy-in and you get a lot more value from it. Whenever you sacrifice for something, it means that much more and you hold it much more dearly to your, to, to your heart. And you're much more willing to live out those values and principles, which are timeless. Um, but yeah, so from a young age, I was I was taught discipline. I was taught um, faith. I was taught love. I was ta- taught giving, um, being generous, always taking care of each other, but also uh, competing. And we always had field days and uh, always playing sports of all different kinds. I mean, that was a major thing. Everything was a competition in, in, as a, in, in elementary school. Even though it was a Christian school, a lot of people don't think that they but it's it was extremely competitive i mean everything was a competition spelling bees uh math 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 competitions everything it was and it was fun like we would see who was the best at everything and everyone won different things and it was a great 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 and very impactful time in my life where i learned how to compete where i learned how to get better at things and uh ultimately that you're not going to be good at everything there are people that have different strengths but I was by no means a, a bookworm. I was by no means a academic, so to speak. I was actually um, not exactly a rule follower in elementary school. Um, my friends and I, we were pretty rambunctious and pretty rowdy at times. We, we got in a lot of trouble. I got sent to the principal's office more times than I'd like to admit. But it was uh, I was always having fun and I was always adventurous. And we, we started trouble and I don't recommend necessarily doing those things, but at the same time, there's a part of me that, uh, is, is rebellious and I, I cherish that to this day. I, I enjoy being rebellious, but now it's just in a more, uh, structured way where I'm going against the grain with other things in my life, um, and, and standing out in other ways. So it's very valuable, but anyway, elementary school was an amazing time for me, um, met a lot of great people, developed a lot of great relationships. Even to this day, I still have very, very close friends of mine uh, that we shared that time together. And I just think it was so important for my development as a human and to who I became. And I'm just extremely grateful that my parents were willing to make that sacrifice for me. And I think any parents that listen to this, um, you should do the same for your children if you have the opportunity. If you get the opportunity, do it do whatever you can to send them into a, a disciplined environment where they can learn things at a young age, where they can learn the value of things. And if you don't have that opportunity, make it happen for yourself. Find a way to make it happen. Find a way to get your kid in a disciplined place because there is nothing, whether it's a, a sport, whether it's a martial art, whether it's 
a, a piano lesson, whatever it is, find a way to get your kid in discipline because those competency skills and those confident, the confidence that comes from that is invaluable. But something that was always a common thread for me was soccer. And you'll hear that throughout this. And soccer was always something that I was drawn to from a very young age. I, uh, I don't know exactly how it all started, but I, I became obsessed with it at a young age. I, it was something I could do by myself. And as an only child, that was extremely challenging as well, because um, it, it's never some it, soccer is something you can do by yourself, but it's way more fun with others. But um, it's a round ball. I mean, there's no better accountability partner than a round ball that can bounce in any direction. You have to be in control of it. So it was just something I learned from a young age. I I became very good at it. I was having a blast playing and I was just at a young age, I was pretty dominant in recreational leagues. And then I got picked up in travel and it was just, it was amazing. I would, I was, I was dominant as a young player, but uh, it just, it changes as you get older a little bit. And um, I still see myself as a dominant player. Don't get that twisted. I'll, I'll take anyone on one V one that listens to this, but um and I'm, I'm still playing to this day. Uh, I have some pretty exciting opportunities coming up and they've been long put off, but I know that I deserve them. And I know that I'm going to crush whenever, whatever opportunity comes in front of me because I'm so prepared. Um, but anyway, so K through six, I went to Christian school, then seventh grade, my, my parents pulled me out of that school and I went to a public school and mainly that was because I wanted to. Some of my friends from soccer were going to a public pub, local public schools and I wanted to be with them. Now, it, it was actually funny because a lot of my teammates ended up going to the a different middle school than I did. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to the middle school they were going to, Mariner Middle. I, I ended up going to Beacon in seventh grade. And uh, seventh grade was a big change for me. I had my first job that summer going into seventh grade. I was 12 years old. I was working uh uh, on the beach, I was uh, an umbrella boy. So I was working with a bunch of friends and we were, we would put in beach umbrellas. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was so much fun. You mean, you know, you're making cash. Um, you get to spend it at the boardwalk. You get to hang out with your friends. You get to do all these different things, buy things that you want. And I wish I had been smarter with that money. I wish I hadn't just seen it as something to spend. I wish I would have, you know, been taught some financial principles back then and how to save and invest and things like that. But that comes later, and uh, I wouldn't change it because um, those those are all fond memories of making that money. And even though I blew it, uh, it was it was so fun. But I realized from a young age, I remember Rusty. He was my boss, and uh, we would do all this work all day, sweating, get blisters on your feet, putting in these umbrellas. It's hard work, and we would get we would make good money for a twelve year old. I mean, we were making probably thirty forty dollars an hour putting in beach umbrellas because it was all tips. So people were nice and they give you money for helping them. And so it was amazing. But the thing was, is we, he would always come by and collect all the money and then give us, uh, you know, our paycheck at the end of the week. And I, was, I would always think, wow, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that just comes and is kind of the boss of things. Like look how much money he's making. And I'm just making, you know, 10% of that. So that kind of opened my eyes to entrepreneurship and what it meant to be an owner. But I also saw all the responsibilities that he had and how he had to manage everything and manage people and make sure the money was uh, protected and all that kind of stuff. So I, I noticed that from a young age, that I, I really wanted to be more that person, but I didn't know how 
at that time. I had no idea that that's really what I wanted. But looking back, that's what drew me. That was having access to more resources and having more responsibilities. Um, and gradually over time, that that developed. But looking back, I can see that that was like what drew me in and what I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. How does that work? So I was interested in ownership. But I didn't know I was interested in ownership, if that makes sense. But as far as school goes, uh, it was kind of eye-opening because I saw a much larger variety of people in public school. It was, just to put it in perspective, my middle school, my elementary school, we had about 20 kids in my class. In middle school, we had about 120 in my class. So it was much bigger. So I saw much more variety of people and I started to see some bad things in school, uh, you know, for the first time ever, drugs, uh, I started to see people experimenting with marijuana, with cigarettes, and these were my classmates. These were people that I was, that were my exact age, and they were doing these things, and I was like, what the heck? Um, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll <laughs> are kind of what I started to see in seventh grade. I started to see people experimenting sexually. I started to see people experimenting with drugs and even alcohol at a very young age, which um, is crazy. And I started to listen to a lot worse music, rap music. I, it was like you know, Little Wayne and uh, some bad stuff you start to listen to. Um, but I was just exposed to it in public school that I, w I wasn't exposed to in private school. And I think that's a good thing, but it's also important to protect the children at a young age. So they're not exposed to that too young. I think I was exposed to it at, in seventh, eighth grade, and I was able to handle it a little bit better than if I was maybe seven. Okay, so you're 12, 13, you're able to handle it. My parents were able to tell me about things if I had questions. Um, so it, it was good. It, it was good. But uh, yeah, I definitely started to see the world and started to wake up a little bit and wasn't as naive as I was in kindergarten through sixth grade, of course. But, um, but a, a, another side point, in this time in my life, I was not behind in development, uh, physically, you know, my body, um, which turned, uh, you'll, you'll understand why that's valid in a couple minutes, but, um, yeah, middle school, I learned a lot of basic stuff and topics I had never learned before, you know, computers, technology, art, music, history, uh, writing, storytelling, all these different things that I hadn't really been exposed to in Christian school. We were taught more values and uh, you know, we were taught basic reading, writing, arithmetic, that kind of stuff, but it was Bible history, things like that. But it wasn't as broad and worldly as what I got in middle school. I was much more exposed to biology and chemistry and different types of computer systems. And like I said, technology, uh, I even had a woodworking class where we started to learn how to work with wood, which it turns out I have a, a, a good history with woodworking as well when I got into high school. But um, yeah, I mean art class, making sculptures, learning about music history, all these different things I was exposed to that I had never gotten in Christian school. So it was really, really good as far as that goes. Um, but I didn't really take any deep interest in anything. Like, once again, it wasn't an academic. I didn't like school. I just was kind of naturally good at it. It was like, I didn't have to work hard for grades. But soccer, on the other hand, I was obsessed with. I was always training. I was always playing with my friends. I was always working at home, juggling. This, this whole time, 12, 13, 14 years old, 
I was always doing stuff by myself. I was always, you know, working on skills and trying to master things. And, and that was <laughs> funny looking back because uh, that turns into a, a common theme in my life that once you become obsessed with something, you can get really good at it. And that's what ended up happening. I got extremely technical through this time. And I was the only seventh grader that was that played every minute of the A team in middle school. I, I was playing, uh, I think I was, what position was I playing? Right midfielder or left midfielder? Because I was left-footed. And uh, I think he had me on the left. And um, I played every single minute of every single game. And I was the only seventh grader that did that. As a, you know, as a middle schooler, a lot of the eighth graders are on the team. And they're kind of the, the big dogs. But but I was. I, was, I played every minute, seventh and eighth grade. And um, I was one of the best players on the team. And it was, it was fun, but I just never enjoyed really schoolwork. I just enjoyed, I enjoyed learning, but I never wanted to study. I never felt any desire to study because it wasn't, as, it wasn't as important to me as soccer was. Um, but I was always able to get good grades because I, was, I feel I was intuitive. I could think for myself. I was, uh, I was able to recognize patterns, which is really important and Essentially, I, I was just able to think for myself and put two and two together. I didn't have to necessarily study and regurgitate information to be good at it, um, which it ultimately is the goal of this podcast is to help people do the same thing, learn how to think, uh, create solutions in your everyday life and lead others in doing that. Because whenever you're a solution seeker and you create solutions, you are a leader because people look up to those that solve problems, not ones that complain about it. But I was always kind of quiet and observational uh, before I started engaging with people. You know, I, I would observe them, I would watch them, I would see what they're like, and then I would engage. And uh, I never felt a part of one particular group. I, I felt isolated in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe that had to do with being an only child. Maybe it was uh, because I was just obsessed with soccer. And I, I don't know what it was all about, but I could understand and fit in with almost any group of people at the school. But I didn't feel part of one. I wasn't tribalistic in that way. I didn't feel like I was part of any one tribe. I mean, I had a group of friends that I kind of hung out with more than others. But I feel like I could have been a chameleon and gone into any group because I could be interested in anything that anyone was talking about. I found it. I could find it interesting. I could see something to learn in any of it, any of these any of these uh, groups of people. So uh, I never had any type of like girlfriend either. I mean even though a lot of my friends did. Um, yeah, I was just, I, I started to have an interest in girls. Like I would talk to them, but I was never brave enough or courageous enough to really ask them out on a date. I thought they would say no. So I was afraid. I wasn't confident in myself. I, I you know, maybe I thought I wasn't as uh, developed or strong or whatever. A seventh grader thinks a 12 year old boy, um, 12, 13 year old. I mean, I, you know, girls were something I was, I saw all my friends going out on dates. I would, I would go to the movies with friends that they were with their girlfriend and I would sit in the one seat and he would sit next to me and then his girlfriend would sit on the other and they would just be kissing the whole time. And I was like sitting there like a dweeb, like I should have just left looking back on it. That would have been a way better option, but you know, you just don't know what to do. You're just kind of like, okay, I'm the third wheel, whatever. Um, but yeah, that was, it was interesting, but uh, I, so to keep moving forward, I, uh, 
whenever I graduated middle school, I was pretty average in like size and development. And this kind of starts a whole nother uh, phase in my life where I go to high school and I started high school extremely small, but I was uh, very underdeveloped physically. I was, I hadn't hit puberty yet, which was weird for going into ninth grade. I would have been, uh, I guess, 14, going to turn 15 later that year. I hadn't even started puberty. I was uh, very, very small. I was very good at soccer. I was extremely talented. I was very technical. I, I had all the skills, but I was, I was so underdeveloped. I looked like an 11-year-old stuck in, a, you know, as a 14-year-old competing with high schoolers and my coach, all my coaches said, you're, you're, our, you're actually our best player technically, but you're just too small. You're too slow. You're too unathletic. And that devastated me. And it, but it, it, it built this animal inside me of wanting to get better. And for that, I am forever grateful because that brought me on a path where I realized if I put my mind to something, I could achieve it. I could get better at something you can and anyone listening to this, you can get better at anything that you want to. You just have to have a perpetual learning mentality. And that's something that I developed whenever everyone told me I was too small, too underdeveloped, uh, too weak, too slow, too this, too that. I've heard it all. Everyone told me anything, but they could never take away my skills. They could never take away my technical ability. They always gave me credit for that because it was undeniable. It was undeniable. Um. So I wanted to develop my athleticism. So I'd be, I started becoming obsessed with that. I would come home from, uh, first off, I would show up to school early. I'd work out in the mornings. I, I would work out in the summers in high school. I would come home from games. So in, in high school, I would come home from games where I wouldn't play a minute. And I would come home and I'd be so devastated. I'd be like crying in, my, in the bathroom, you know, getting a shower after at home. And I would actually start working out, believe it or not. Like I would do sit-ups, I would do squats, I would do lunges, I would do all these things because I thought if I just do a little bit and if I just if I can just get better, if I can just get faster, if I can just get stronger, if I can... so I would start doing these things and my I would turn, you know, turn on the fan in the bathroom so nobody could hear like hear me working out and I would be doing push ups, I'd be doing sit ups, I'd I'd be working out after the game at like eight eight o'clock at night before I got my shower. Um, just, just to try and get better, man. I was just hungry for it. I just had a desire and long-term that paid off big dividends. Um, but I started learning about nutrition and health and wellness, and I did everything I could to get more athletic, but to no real gain because I just wasn't growing. It was like, um, development wise, I wasn't hitting puberty which is when most boys are hitting it and they're starting to develop and, you know, grow facial hair and do all these things. And I, I didn't have any of that. I had no development whatsoever. I literally looked like an 11 year old. Um, and it was really, I was so frustrated because I thought something was my fault. I was like, what am I not doing right? What am I? And this, this problem I was trying to solve and, you know, going into ninth, 10th grade, um, I was, I was extremely frustrated with where I was because there was no there was no answers. And through this whole time, I was taking um, in high school, I was taking carpentry classes, and I was starting to develop develop skills where I could, uh, you know, problem solve and um, cabinet making and doing all these things that were like amazing like technical skills. But I just couldn't get 
stronger. I couldn't get bigger for my sport. Um, so I was getting challenged and learning and growing and develop competency and confidence in other areas. But as far as I go, I was like, okay, I'm working out all this, all these different ways. I'm, I'm eating right. I'm doing everything proper, but I just can't see progress. And I was, it was so frustrating. You, I, it was so frustrating. Um, it was like, I was hitting my head up against the wall, but, um, just to put it into perspective, um, sophomore year of high school, I was five feet tall, five feet, and I weighed 88 pounds. And um, halfway through that year, my mom started really, and I have to give credit to my mom because she started this whole process. She intuitively as a mom knew something was wrong sophomore year of high school. And she started looking for solutions to this issue, to this abnormality that I had. And uh, my local doctor was basically like, no, he's just a late bloomer. He's just this. So she went out off on her own and started to get other opinions, which is an extremely, extremely important thing to do in everything is to get other opinions. If a, if a doctor says one thing, just go and get another opinion. It doesn't hurt anything. That doctor shouldn't be offended. And if he is, that's not a good doctor. Because science is a objective thing. You should be able to have discourse and differing opinions and then you can find the best information. But anyway, um, so she started uh, doing a lot of research and long story short, I ended up going to a doctor up at Aya DuPont Hospital for Children, which is an amazing hospital. They they've done, they did a great job with me. I can do nothing but give them a ton of credit. They, they were amazing. But um, they started to analyze me and, and find the root of this problem. And the first thing that ended up happening after about three or four months of going up there is they found out that I had what's called celiac disease. That's a gluten intolerance. A lot of people have heard of it. A lot of people have it. Um, but there was a, this was after months and months of tests of diagnosis of uh, different things. We were driving two hours every day, several days a week, just trying to figure out the problem, taking all kinds of, uh, like I said, tests, overnight hospital visits, surgeries, procedures, the whole bit, everything that you could do, we were doing. And uh, for six months, I ate that gluten-free diet and changed my entire diet, but still had no growth, absolutely nothing. Nothing happened physically. Um, my my gut became much more healthy. My body was, my immune system was amazing. It was functioning at peak levels, but I wasn't growing. And that was the that was the thing that we were looking to solve was why is he not growing? Why is why is Zach look like an 11 year old and he's 15? What is the problem here? Um, so entering my junior year of high school, I was still the same exact size, which was extremely frustrating. I think I might have gained like two pounds, maybe I was five feet tall, 90 pounds. But I was extremely small. And just imagine someone that's extreme, an extremely technical soccer player, but they're so small and underdeveloped. And remember, I'm not just short, I have no muscle. I have virtually no testosterone compared to my, my teammates. So I'm slow. I'm I'm, I'm not unathletic in the sense of no athleticism. I'm unathletic because my muscles are so much smaller than everyone else's. And I just cannot compete with someone that's six feet tall and 180 pounds who's sprinting up and down the field whenever I'm 90 pounds and five feet tall. It's just not going to work. Um, so my coach, I can't hold it against him. He told once again, as a junior, you're too small. You're too, 
you're too slow. We don't, we can't use you. You're, uh, I'll put you on the roster, but you're not going to play much. And it was so incredibly frustrating hearing that. You're, I heard you're the most technical player we have. Technically, nobody can handle you. Any kind of drills that we do, passing, dribbling, any kind of technical things, you're the best. Free kicks, everything. But we just can't put you on the field because you can't compete athletically. We can't. You can't compete physically with anybody. They'll just push you around, and that was extremely frustrating. But, um, but yeah. So uh, once I started this new lifestyle change, where I was eating gluten free and uh, just getting healthy, the the doctors started to explore other factors. I started to go to a million different doctors, and this was all at AI Dupont. So it was a lot of time in the car, overnight hospital visits, like I said. Um, and they tried to look at everything. Uh, they they covered every. They left no stone unturned in my body, and uh, it, it eventually brought them to my pituitary gland, which is the crux of the problem. It turns out we realized I had what's called pituitary dwarfism. It's a relatively rare phenomenon, which is also called growth hormone deficiency, or uh, GHD. And my pituitary gland was stunted for some from something. We're not really we're not positive what we'll never know, but I think it was whenever I broke my nose when I was about ten years old. Um, I jumped, uh, anyway. I broke my nose, and I think that that trauma might have stunted my pituitary gland. And for this reason, I wasn't secreting any growth hormone. My my body was not creating any growth hormone, which is, is terrible. I mean, that's they told me that I would have stayed exactly where I was for the rest of my life if uh if they hadn't have found this so um and this was the reason i hadn't started or finished puberty at 16 years old and why i was basically basically i had the body of a 12 11 year old at 16. um so i was a late bloomer you could say but after this um uh they diagnosed me to start taking hgh and in particular nordotropin it's a pretty expensive drug, and like I told you earlier, we we couldn't afford anything. It was uh, we weren't rich. We didn't come from money, but thank God my parents had jobs that provided insurance and benefits, and the insurance covered the cost of my treatments one hundred percent. It was something crazy, like uh, twenty thousand dollars a month, which was the cost of the drugs. I ended up taking these drugs for two years. But, but it was, it, it was crazy. I mean, um, we would have never been able to afford it, but, and, and that ultimately was life changing for me. It changed the whole trajectory. I would have been that size forever. The doctor said, cause your pituitary gland literally was turned off. It was like a light switch. Like it was just off. Um, so I started taking the HGH in order to turn it back on. And, um, yeah, I'm just forever grateful for insurance really. Um, <laughs> because it would, it would have never happened had it not been for having insurance. And, um, after a year of doctor's visits, we finally got this solution that my pituitary gland was off. I started taking the drugs. Um, and it was a shot every day that I took with a pen. So I, it was kind of like a, um, it was an injection similar to a EpiPen. You put it in like your thigh, you put it in your leg, you put it in your arm, you put it in your stomach. Yeah, had a, a bunch of rotations that you do anyway. Not important, but long story short, I finally started growing. Uh, 
and I wanted, uh, I had such a desire to grow at that point. You have no idea the frustration I felt as a 16 year old being five feet tall and I was willing to do anything. It was, I had no other option but to do these shots. And um, I started to make these, can take these shots every day for the next two years. And uh, at this, uh, at the same time, I was still playing soccer, still doing all these things. I was still training. And I just had, uh, we had this drive to, to make things work. Finally, we had some answers. Um, so we were still, you know, going up to AI DuPont for the next two years to just monitor my growth. And I grew on average eight inches that first year. So I was five eight uh, at my high school graduation, which was which was <laughs> a pretty cool feeling. Um, but I, I started to feel I started to feel more confident as a man. I started to feel confidence, which th- this growth, by the way, was. A, a very high rate. This was a very fast growth, but I never, what's weird is I never lost any of my athletic ability. I never got awkward. It was just a natural thing. And I think a lot of that had to do with, I just kept training and working out and being comfortable in my body and eating right and doing all the things. So it was easy. Like it, it didn't feel like I never lost any athleticism. I never lost my soccer ability, which a lot of people thought I would. They thought I would lose my technical ability. They thought that as I started to grow, I wouldn't be as good of a player never worked. Their plan never worked to, to keep me down. It just kept getting better and better actually. Um, and I really think that this, this year, my senior year of high school was a very important and impactful period of my life. Cause I started to see myself as more competent and able, which I hadn't done before. I was, my confidence was suffering so much because I was so small. I was confused. I felt like something was wrong with me. And there was something wrong with me, but we had finally got answers. And I just, I got to give my parents credit because they, they started to ask questions when, and look for solutions, not just ask questions and complain, but actually just get solutions, just solve the problem. Um, Especially my mom, kudos to you, mom. She started the process. My dad, I mean, it was never like he wasn't involved or he wasn't supportive. She just started the ball rolling. And then they were a team. They were always a team. And uh, that's how we roll. We roll as a squad, as a a strong triangle. We balance each other out really well. But anyway, um, changed my life for the better. And I'm eternally grateful for that. I, I saw progress in every area of my life and development and it gave me a bounce and a glow I never felt before. I felt confident. I felt like a, like I was on top of the world. I always did well in school. Um, I, I was challenging my teachers. I was being really creative. My teachers loved me, by the way. Uh, I had good good grades, great reputation. With, with not that much effort, it just felt so, at, I felt peace. I felt at ease at this time in my life because I was confident, I was rolling, I was flowing. You know, everything was going good. Um, my athletic development was great. And I just, I felt like, I felt like I, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't be stopped because it was like, wow, finally some confidence. I got a girlfriend that year. Um, <laughs> that was, it was a whole nother story, but I had an amazing time. My high school was, you know, a tech school. I took carpentry, milling cabinet, which was blast learned an amazing craft and I got good at it. I got competent. I saw the value of practice and hard work and how you can get good at anything you work at. And I had a lot of amazing memories that senior year of high school. I 
just so many fun things, so many stories that I could share, but I'm not going to get into them now. Um, I had my first, uh, I would say, kind of girlfriend between junior and senior year. Uh, that summer, I met her and a friend of hers while I was working at a restaurant called Hooked Seafood and Martini Bar. Shout out Tommy. Uh, I worked every summer, all different jobs changed almost every year i did the beach umbrellas i worked in restaurants i worked at retail the nike store did construction i worked at training facilities i trained kids i worked in fast food i worked at a coffee shop i tried to be a lifeguard but i failed and i wasn't chosen all these experiences were challenging they were fun they taught me how to recognize and use patterns how to appreciate people's work uh, how to think creatively how to problem solve and lead people and make money and add value and learn new skills and be a perpetual student and listen to people who are different than you and take guidance and mentorship and observe business owners and, and learn the value of ownership. And ultimately I was, it was extremely formative in who I became and who I am and how I see and understand the world. And my understanding is so much more broad because I had all those jobs and I would encourage anybody who is a, a 14, 15, 16 year old, go out and get a job, go out and work. Don't, don't be lazy. Go out and work a million jobs. Try try a million different things. Try everything. But always be a learner in those environments. Have fun. Enjoy. Learn the craft. Learn all the basics. Ask questions. Do all these things. Um, because those experiences are invaluable to you. You will always look back on those and say, wow, I, look at how much I learned. Now, I would even encourage you. I would even challenge you guys more to take notes. You know, if you if you get a summer job, Go and start asking questions, learn all about it. And every day, whenever you come home, write about your experiences, write it down. Because whenever you look back on those moments, you'll be like, wow, that look at what I learned when I was 15. Now I'm 26. And look at how much I've grown since then. Look at where my mind was. Look at what I was thinking about. So all that is extremely, extremely valuable. And you can never put a, a price on those experiences and those, those seemingly pointless jobs build you into the person that you become and the value that you add to the world. So I just encourage anyone go get, go work, get to work, start developing and creating and building because you, your future self will thank you. And, um, another, I mean, another aspect of my life at this time, my senior year of high school, I had my first real girlfriend. So the other one was kind of like a eh, summertime thing, whatever. Um, just hung out a couple times, not nothing serious, but I had my first real girlfriend in the beginning of my senior year. Um, Dory, <laughs> actually, oddly enough, uh, her family and her dad helped me develop uh, my interest into like cars and a lot of other things because her dad is an extremely good mechanic. He's got a, he's got his own business. That, that's another thing that opened my eyes to business ownership. I saw it firsthand. You know what their house was like, how they lived, and and I was like, wow, this is another level than what I came up in. Um, so that was pretty cool as well. But um. We had a great time, created a lot of memories. And like I said, I, I felt like I was flowing. I felt like I was more attractive to girl, whatever. And so I had the girlfriend and um, had amazing memories together, created a lot of great memories. And, uh, you know, we, we went on explorations and got really close. And it was, it was really, really tough on me when we broke up, you know, I, I, I loved her. I said I loved her. And uh, it was tough, man. I, I, it was brutal. I felt like the world was ending. 
And I felt like I'd never find another person to do my life with. I was like, wow. And, and looking back on it, you know, was, now I'm 26. Looking back, I'm like, wow, kid, you have no idea like how big the world is, do you? And, and that's the reality is I was living in a small world, a small county, in a small town. And uh, you think it's the end of the world, but the world is so big. And I spent a lot of that time feeling bad for myself and trying to get her back. And But thankfully now, so this was after my senior year of high school, we broke up and I was trying to get her back. I, was, I wanted to text her and call her and I felt lonely and all these different emotions. And I was unsuccessful. And thank God that she never responded and that she was tough. And I'm so grateful to her for that. I never, you know, I never told her this, but she didn't text me or call me or show me any attention when I wanted it. Now I wanted it, but I didn't get it. So that, that was so, so, so important. I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that she didn't cave and just give in because I'm sure it would have been easy to just respond and say, shut up kid or whatever, but I got no response. So it forced me to learn the power of independence. And so I thank you, Dorian, for that. Uh, if you ever hear this, you challenged me in a way I needed and I learned the importance of autonomy and independence again. So looking back, I can say that was extremely good for me. It was extremely healthy to go through that. But I also want to encourage you know, young men who are going through this maybe right now who may listen to this that I know it seems like the end of the world. I've been there. I felt depressed. I felt sad. I felt, oh my gosh, how is this ha happening? How is this possible? But just trust me on this. You will get through it and it is okay. There are, everyone feels this way whenever you break up with your first major girlfriend, your first major anything, boyfriend, girl that listens to this, you might feel the same way, whatever. It will end. That that pain, that suffering that you're feeling, it, it will go away. You will be okay. You are tough. You are you're stronger than you think you are right now. So it's just a new challenge. Smile and imagine it as a challenge that you want to overcome and figure out how to dig deep inside yourself. Find independence. Find autonomy. Do things that bring you satisfaction, bring you fulfillment, and learn to grow as a person. Learn to grow and evolve and change. That is an extremely valuable concept. If you can learn to change and grow and develop through these tough times and through moments that feel like they're never going to end, you will thank yourself in the future. And I thank myself. I Thank you, Zach. I don't thank you for being a baby and crying about it. Not literally. I mean, I probably did literally cry, but I'm, I'm not proud of that part but i am proud that i grew past it and that i i didn't you know cave in or whatever you want to say I ended up going to college uh for soccer which my college wesley college uh rip doesn't even exist it got acquired by another university um and none of my it's weird none of my college records or anything like that and none of my college you know statistics nothing exists they eliminated the website which is bizarre, but um, college was a great experience uh, overall. Um, but it was tough. It was tough for me. I met my best friend as a freshman, and we we talk every day, even to now. William Hillary Molesky, thank you for being 
a friend when I needed it going into my freshman year. Love you, man. But we were able to, he, you know, he was like a long lost brother to me. We laughed at the same dumb shit. We're both extremely competitive. We're both smart and intuitive and can recognize patterns quickly. And we're observational. And uh, we both have a lot of common interests, cars, soccer, business, uh, any, uh, pretty much everything we have in common, which is um, funny. Um, but we're also different in a lot of ways. We, we have a lot of similarities, but we also have a lot of differences. We, we both work extremely hard both focused on excellence and we want to be at our best all the time we don't we want to get better progressively over time and, and that was really healthy for us in college um it helped us grow together and, and get better together but um we always have fun no matter what we always have fun together every time we're together we're laughing we're we're jabbing each other we're making jokes it's it's fun man it's fun to have someone like that that you can you can and we have a deep trust we have a deep trust in each other that uh, not many people have. I trust him 100%. I could I could trust him with anything. Um, and I'm so appreciative for that friendship. And uh, I'll do anything to protect that. But we, we, what's very interesting is we came from similar homes. So similar towns, quiet towns. Uh, he went to a small school. I went to a small school growing up. Um, I went to a bigger high school than him. His high school is like a baby high school compared to mine, but um, very similar homes, you know, two parent household, married, average, just average families. And um, looking back, that had a lot to do with why we were such, why we connected so well together. And we just, we had a desire to be better than a lot of other people in our environment. We wanted to be the best. I mean, and him and I want to be the best, but, we have like this almost like silent common agreement, like where it's like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, go in here and F stuff up. Like we're gonna be the best here. And uh, we have so many memories. We could talk for hours about college soccer and how uh, whenever him and I were on the same team, we would just crush it, crush everybody. But um, but a lot of times we would pity, pit ourselves against each other. We would like, he would be on one team, I'd be on the other and we would just go back and forth. And uh, everyone else on the team would just kind of, joint like they would pick his team or my team and then uh, or we would pick the teams whatever and it, it was fun but um but we trained together uh we were by far the most focused and driven players on the team no offense to anybody else but you guys you could not even hang with us uh just to be real we out train we never missed anything we showed up for every single training session we did extra training sessions we were eating better than everyone i mean we we did everything right we and I don't say that to brag. We were just focused and we kept each other accountable. But it was always fun. We weren't. We didn't. We we were never bored. We always had fun together. That was that was another major thing. Whether we were trying to make money, you know, selling stuff online. Whether it was playing soccer. Whether it was riding bikes in in downtown Dover. Uh, whether it was running. Whether it was racing. Whether it was arguing. We both want to win and we're willing to smash the other person. But after after the fact, we can only shake hands and have fun and laugh, and that that's a very special relationship to me, and that's something, like I said, um, I hold that very very dear to me. So, well, if you listen to this, um, yeah, I think you would agree. But um, but person, but it was it's interesting because we we had kind of opposite 
experiences in college soccer as far as the team goes. I knew I was a great player. Uh, nobody outworked us. I mean, I think he would agree with this. I, I even worked more than him at soccer, but I wasn't, I wasn't ever rewarded with what I wanted most, which was playing time in college. Um, and that hurt, that hurt me deeply because I put every ounce of effort and energy that I had. And the coach's opinion just wasn't high of me. He didn't think I was good enough to, to play on his starting team. And, uh, for that reason, I barely played, even though in training, I, I did way better than many players that were starting. And I was always a difference maker when I was given an opportunity. I scored goals. I had assists every single time I, I came into the game. I made crucial passes. I made crucial tackles, whatever it was. And I poured everything into developing and becoming as good as possible. But I just wasn't rewarded for it for whatever reason. It sucked. It was awful. I, I cried many times after games because um, I just don't, I, you know, you don't know what to do. You don't know why you're being... Uh, I mean, it wasn't direct punishment, but it felt like punishment. It felt like you were being treated badly for something you did wrong. And I, I couldn't figure out what I did wrong because I was trying to do everything right. I was training extra. I was doing everything possible in my power. But um, but sometimes you just you can't control stuff like that. I tried to communicate. I tried to talk. It was just like I, I would go and go into a, a coach's office and it was like, uh, yeah, you're just uh, – and that would be it. it. It just wouldn't be a conversation. It would be a one-sided thing. I would try to communicate, and he didn't. He just didn't want to communicate with me, which was which was tough. But looking back, it uh, it made me stronger, and it was a crucial lesson for any young man to learn not to value someone else's opinion over your own opinion of yourself. Okay, I'll say that again. Don't value someone else's opinion of you over your opinion of yourself. I made a lot of amazing relationships and learned to persevere through this hard things and they do make you better but always keep keep your perspective on you the most important thing and um yeah that's just that's super super important don't let that don't let someone else's opinion shape your opinion of yourself create a vision of where you're going and and create a vision of who you want to become and become that that's it other people's opinions, you can you can listen to them. You can always be polite, which I always did. I was never rude. I was never anything. I was always polite and listened, but I didn't agree with it. I can respectfully disagree with you. And we can walk away, shake hands, and still be friends. But I don't have to agree with you. Okay? Um, that was something I learned, by the way. I didn't – I wasn't born with that. That wasn't um, – I wanted to be a people pleaser. I wanted to make everyone happy. That's why partially why I worked so hard. I wanted to – Make make him proud of me. Make, uh, let people you know see my see my hard work and inspire others to do the same thing so that we could get better together. But sometimes you're just in the wrong environment, um, and uh, and and I learned that. I learned that sometimes you have to pick yourself up and take yourself out of the environment if it's unhealthy for you. If it's not the right environment, you will you will struggle. You will bang your head against the wall. And sometimes the best answer is to just get out of it. So. Um, there is no shame in, in moving and doing something else, okay? I just want that to be clear. And uh, another uh, another note, in college, I just be, I began several entrepreneurial endeavors. I started selling soccer cleats and sneakers and clothes online. I 
began working with a mentorship team in the health and wellness sector, which opened my eyes to business and how much we're capable of as humans, how much we can open the lid and personal development and uh, just a commitment to personal growth. And this was, this is a mentorship team that I, I stay tight with to this day. Uh, they have, they help me grow. They, they stretch my mind. They give me a place where I can go and develop and learn from other people. And they challenge me. They push me. They keep me accountable. There, there's so many different ways in which this mentorship team has changed my life. Um, and, and I'm forever grateful. And they will always be one of the most impactful groups of people that I've ever been around. And they're making the world better. And it's just something that you can't put a price on. You can't put, you can't put a value on something that makes you a better person like that in this way and people that teach you these values and principles. But, um, but yeah, I started entrepreneurial endeavors in college. I, I started training young soccer players as well and have been blessed to work with many amazing, uh, amazing players, uh, young players, um, you know, that, that have a lot of potential and I'm excited to see where they go in their lives. But I was also able to rub shoulders with amazing entrepreneurs and business leaders and influencers and just hyper successful people in many areas. And, uh, they became, they become amazing friends and relationships grow over time with trust and with communication. And, uh, I learned the value of integrity in this time and honor and sticking to your word and following through and, over-delivering, but under-promising. Under-promise and over-deliver. That's, that's a major, major thing. Give more than you take, always. Um, always give more than, than you think you're capable of, but also give more than you receive because you'll, you'll feel more fulfilled in that way. Whenever you take something, you might feel a temporary pleasure. You might feel, oh, that's good to get something, or get a gift or whatever. But whenever you give, you have such a deeper meaning and a deeper fulfillment that you don't get from from taking. So just a little nugget there. But my mentors have taught me so much and they've added so much value to me. And it's a responsibility for me to pay it forward. Part of the reason I'm building this platform of this podcast, and I have a big vision for it for the future. But uh, after college, I, I knew I would probably never get a traditional job again. I always worked for myself in some capacity. But but all I wanted to do was be a pro because I saw I went to combines, I went to uh, I, I rubbed shoulders with a lot of professionals and I knew that I was capable. I knew that it was possible for me and I knew that I could do it. Um, and people told me that I could do it as well. There was, uh, you know, I had a lot of talent, I guess you could call it that, but I developed that over time and people call it talent, but it's really just repetition and effort. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I always kind of knew that, that I want, I, I, since I was six years old, I knew I wanted to be a pro. I always had that goal as a, to be a professional soccer player at six years old is what I knew I wanted to be. And that's what I knew I wanted to do. So after college, I, I created an opportunity to go to Seattle. Um, I went to all these combines all over the country, Seattle, and then to California and to be seen and picked up by a pro team. And that was the goal. And that was the vision. And that's what I, I had going for me. And there was actually interest from a, a coach named Mauricio, who was a coach for Caratro in uh, Liga MX. And he wanted to bring me into his U21 team. 
But at the time, I had just turned 22, and it just wasn't possible. And that really bummed me out because he was a great guy, very friendly. Um, and he was like, I want you to come into my U21 team. We're going to get you an apartment. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, you know, it turned out that I was one year too old. And he was like, oh. he was really bummed. I saw it on his face when I told him that I was 22. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, he was a great guy. I, I, I still have him as a friend to this day. But um, after that, I landed with a team called the Rochester Lancers. It was a, it's a semi-pro team. Stayed there uh, actually with Will. Um, he came with me up there. We went together and uh, lived in for several months playing a couple days. It was like four days a week training. Um, just But living in terrible accommodations uh, provided by the team. But it was a very, very low standard uh, of living. We had a one-bedroom, 700-square-foot house. It was not a good situation. But, uh, but we were living and we were playing. And uh, you can't ask for, for much more than that as someone that wants to play soccer. So it was good. Yeah, so we were just kind of living terribly. Uh, and it was, it was not fun. But I learned a lot in Rochester. I learned uh, a lot more about myself learned how, how bad things could get, uh, at least to a point. I mean, we had, we have so many stories of that house. It was awful. We had some crazy experiences with the woman that we lived with up there too, which was, it was crazy. I'll get into that some other time. <laughs> well, I'll have to get Will on here and we'll just talk through it and you guys can be entertained and educated. But, um, yeah, we spent a lot of days living like bums, hanging out at Panera Bread, uh, up there in Rochester. And we sold stuff online to make some money to pay for, you know, some stuff that we wanted or whatever. Um, but it was a grind. We were grind. We were, this was grind mode. We were living like bums. We were training. We were eating well, actually. Um, we, we ate pretty well. We were treated, we were treated as low, low, low level professionals. We were, our accommodations were taken care of, our food was taken care of, which was good, and our training was taken care of, which was great. But um, yeah, I learned a lot from Doug and um, the guy Mark who helped us out. They were just, they were tremendous people. I met a lot of really good people up in Rochester, to be fair. Um, even a guy that I've rubbed shoulders with a couple times now, Michael Cunningham. Uh, he has a YouTube channel that's very successful. He's done very well for himself. Um, but I met him in Rochester. Um, so uh, I met a guy named Austin. I met, I, there's a lot of guys that are just, they were good guys. Um, but it was just not a good fit. It wasn't the best fit for me. Um, so I, I decided to, you know, pick myself up and, uh, start looking for other opportunities and creating other opportunities. So after that, I sent emails, thousands of emails, uh, not, maybe not thousands at this time, but I was looking for someone, just a connection and uh, went down to Naples, Florida, and started playing for Naples United, which was in the same league, the NPSL. But they were down in Florida, and it was it was really – the living arrangements were better, but they were not great than Rochester, from Rochester. So the, the coach was Italian, spoke no English. Most of my teammates were the same, foreigners. They were from South America. They were from Europe, but no English. Uh, so I picked up – I had taken Spanish all through school, but – um, I picked up some Italian, learned, uh, even more Spanish cause I was speaking it every day with my teammates. And that's the best, by the way, that's the best way to learn anything is total immersion. 
that's the best way. Um, but these were, it was amazing times. Honestly, we had so, I, I laughed so much. Uh, it was fun. We had great weather, but it was hot. Um, got to, so it's funny because I was in Rochester in the winter, which is like the worst time in Rochester. And then I was in Naples in the summer, which is like the worst time to be in Naples. It's the hottest time of the year. Um, so I've experienced it all, but, um, yeah, great times, hard training. I mean, once again, professional lifestyle, just not getting paid, uh, which was, it's, you know, it's kind of a weird place to be, but, um, living in Naples for a couple months, I got to see, you know, Fifth Avenue and just traveled all around that area and, uh, playing, playing games, doing preseason. Like it was just, it was fun. It was cool. Um, but I ended up leaving there because it was just, it was really challenging to continue to just speak Spanish every day and never get to speak English. So, um, I reached out to a team called Boca Raton FC, which was another, uh, another organization in the same league and uh crazy story how I got there but uh that's that's a story for another day but met some amazing people Pedro and Douglas um they were great great guys very welcoming and uh helped me out with a place to stay in West Palm Beach with a guy named Zach and uh and his another player on the team whose name is Rafinha is Brazilian guy and we were in a massive apartment I mean it was crazy it was like 3,500 square feet three floors I think it was like five bedrooms and it was just, it was amazing. It was so nice, but it was like empty. <laughs> so you can imagine three guys in an apartment like that. Um, it was so funny, but, um, lived there for a couple months and just bumming it on an air mattress in this massive, like apartment. It was, it was so cool though. It was fun. We, you know, we were training every day. We were working together. We were driving back and forth to training and, uh, Coral Springs, I think was where we were training at the time. And, uh, but yeah, so we ended up not, I ended up not staying in that apartment. Um, and I moved in with another teammate named Marco just cause he was more serious and more my style. And, um, we, that's my Serbian brother, man. We, uh, we developed a really, really good relationship. And after that, I learned so much about him and his story and what he went through in, growing up in Serbia. And it opened my eyes to how the world works a little bit more and how, how big it really is and how different someone's experiences can be and how those experiences shape their view of the world. And, um, he has an amazing story. I'm going to have him on here too. And so he can share his story, but it was incredibly inspiring for me to hear how he, how he grew up and how he developed and how he came to this country. And we just, him and I, we just clicked. We outworked everybody. We had the same lion mentality we we became beasts together and it was fun we would work out at this gym called impact uh, i think now it's called ftx wellness or something down in boca and we were we were animals we were there a couple of days a week we were we were training at the field with the team and then we were doing extra and um once again treated like professionals we, we had all the best facility world-class facilities we had daily training we had soccer we had massage we had everything we could ask for um we had a nice apartment we were staying in but once again not getting paid and uh it's it's tough it's a grind like that it's for anyone that's listening that wants to take this path it is for the majority of players everyone you know some players get lucky they get very very lucky and they get selected in you know the draft or they're uh they they have an agent that can represent them or whatever but for a, an average person coming up who 
and I don't mean average as in ability wise. I just mean someone that's not highly recruited, someone that can be overlooked or that has been overlooked. This is a hard path. This is a hard path. I just want you people to know that who are listening and young players who are taking it. It is, it can be very, very tough and it can be very, very challenging. And you have to have a thick skin to get through it. Um, which I developed, by the way, I developed a thick skin. I developed strength through all these times, but, um, I remember just feeling at this time as well. I mean, incredibly alone and confused. Why my, why my life felt like such a mess. Felt like nobody wanted to to help me. It felt like I was alone. It felt like, you know, Marco and I had a great relationship, but it was still like, okay, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And that's constantly where we kept coming back to. And we were developing and we were happy and growing, but I just felt alone. And it was, it was my job to win and help myself, which is what I realized, you know, cause I wanted someone else to help me, but I realized it's only up to me. And this time too, I started, uh, going to, uh, Christ fellowship church, which by the way, I, uh, in college, I became, I guess you could say a born again Christian. I was, you know, I grew up in a Christian school, but I really, for some reason, um, something clicked in college and I asked Jesus to be my Lord and savior. And it was always it was never it was never the same after that. But anyway, I started going to this church in Florida called Christ Fellowship and what an amazing environment that was. Wow. It was something I never experienced in growing up as in church and going to Catholic church as a kid, um, going to a Christian school. I'd never experienced anything like it. It was amazing. it was incredible. It's world class experience. They have a world class setup and it, it was just special. Um and I made an amazing friend there. His name's Brandon. Um, shout out Brandon. We got many tacos together and many Chick-fil-A nuggets. Uh, <laughs> love you, Brandon. I appreciate all, you and all you do. Um, I met a lot of cool people at Christ Fellowship, Christ Fellowship, a guy named Sean. He went out and created his own church. Um, but I would, I remember I would drive through Palm beach for hours. I would walk the streets, uh, where the mansions were and I would dream big than I ever had before. I would walk past something like a Mar-a-Lago or these mansions that are on the Atlantic. And it, it stretched me and I saw vibrant people. I saw bright people, people who were influencing the world. And they influenced me to, to do things like dress nicer, hold myself to a higher standard, look better, keep myself more professionally, pursue a beautiful life and be an amazing person that inspires boldness, courage, and, and being a light as opposed to, you know, people that are just trying to get by. And and that was inspiring to me to see people living life at a higher frequency. Um, I, it excited me. And I love Florida. I still love Florida. It was, I, I, I'm going to end up there. I know I will uh, somewhere. Not sure where in Florida, but I'll, I'll be somewhere beautiful and I'll be somewhere with a big life. And, but it was energy. It was freedom that I saw. It was creativity and they were always solution seeking people down there. They're problem solvers in Florida. I got to say all the people I know anyway, there, I'm sure there's a lot of not problem solvers, but all the people I know are problem solvers that live in Florida. They're, they're just incredible people. But, um, but from West Palm beach and, and Boca, uh, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet a guy named Alberto and he, he wanted to bring me to Germany. He said he could get me some good opportunities and could help me. And needless to say, I jumped on them. And I flew to Germany with Will. I told Will about it. And he was like, hey, I, I don't know. Can you help me with that too? And so so we went. And the journey was 
crazy when we left. I mean, it was wild. We we hadn't slept in 24 hours. It was our first time in Europe. We were, de- I was, I know I was, I think he was too, dehydrated, jet lagged. You had stiff legs from being in the plane, you, you know, then the trains, and then you get picked up at the train station. And we get picked up by this guy named Rudy at the train station. This is a whole nother story, but um, I'm not going to get into all the details of Germany. Just, um, just know that it was, it was tough, but we ended up playing a game that night. Off the plane, 24 hours, no sleep, dehydrated, stiff legs. I mean, the worst possible conditions for an athlete, we end up, he's like, okay, we are going to play a game now. So get ready in the back of the car. And, and we're, you know, we're like looking at each other like, what? Is he, does he have any idea what we just, like, we just flew halfway across the world. And now he wants us to play a game. Like, what? This guy's nuts. But anyway, after an hour in the car and driving, uh, from the train station, we played a game. And it was one of my best performances ever. I balled out. I was, I became hyper-focused because I knew that I couldn't rely on any type of physical dependency. I had to just mentally tune it because my body was not prepared to perform. But my mind was, and I, I performed. And that, that opened my eyes to some possibilities for myself. And, um, Overall, Germany gave me so many valuable experiences. It was challenging physically, mentally, emotionally, and it forced me to get tough and man up. Uh, Nobody was going to take care of me. I ended up signing an agreement to play for a team there, and uh, it was a good good experience. It it, it really toughened me up. Um, And I was living like a professional, training, uh, eating, Every, travel, everything. And, um, and yeah, it was, I mean, you know, you take a hour long ride from where you're at, you walk a couple miles, you, whatever you have to do, man, like a lot of people have this view of what a professional is and it's, it's not what people think. And a lot of, the majority of professionals do not live a glorious lifestyle. It's a, it's tough. It's a tough lifestyle. Um, there are fortunate few, and I mean few, that end up signing million dollar deals that ha- that live this posh lifestyle. But the average professional, it's a tough life, man. It is tough. Um, but but it's a great experience, and I, I think everyone should do it if that's what you want, because you should experience it. it. Makes you a better person. Um, but it became it made me a more resilient athlete, and I learned a. You know, I learned how to push myself physically, mentally, emotionally, all that. You you learn how to toughen up and and just go and, and not not ask questions all the time, but just go. Um, and that there's a certain value in just being able to take action. Don't ask questions, just go. Just do what you have to do. And it galvanized me and developed a shell where no one could hurt me, um, or so I thought. Um, my my trainer, he actually. It came up with a name, and and you call your coach your trainer, by the way, um, in Germany. It's trainer, but they would call me Iron Man because they thought that I was like invincible. I would win all the forest runs that we did. I, you know, I was always first in all the fitness drills, the push up tests, the sit ups, everything. I was always first. I was always the best. Um, so they called me Iron Man, which was <laughs> it's just funny, but um, but yeah, I learned a lot about playing soccer tactically, technically. Uh, grew my belief in myself as a player, uh, after seeing Bundesliga players and, and I would watch the games and I realized, wow, I, I could play at that level. Uh, you know, you're right. You're, 
you're 10 feet away from these guys that are on television playing in World Cups and playing in the, you know, I was 10 feet away from Mario Goetze at one point. I was watching him play and I'm like, holy crap, this guy is the World Cup uh, winning goal scorer. He scored the goal to win Germany the World Cup. And I'm 10 feet away from this guy. And he's not impressing me to the point of disbelief. I'm looking at him and I'm saying, wow, I'm right there. I can do that. I can do what he's doing. That I, and, and whenever you see that firsthand, whenever you're that close to someone and you can experience it, it builds your belief like no other. When you can share the same air as them, when you can share the same ground as them, when you can move on the same field as them, your belief is built. Um, and, and you can't put a price on that because you're capable of so much more than you think. Now, a lot has to go your way. A, a lot has to go right, but it is possible for you. And um, in Germany overall, it built my belief. It, I, I, I was in, I, I became the best athlete that I've ever been. Uh, I mean, at, up to that point, I was the best athlete I've ever been. I, I haven't looked back since. I've always been pushing my level. Um, of performance to this day. And I just keep getting better. I'm like a fine wine. I'm getting better with age. Fino vino. Uh, but Germany, I was there from about September 2018 to May of 2019. Just put a little timestamp on that. But um, once I got back, I realized I had to figure this shit out. I was back home for the first time really since I had left for college. I mean, I would come home for college, you know, in the summers or, uh, you know, every once in a while on the weekend, but I, I enjoyed being away and I learned so much and I grew exponentially from those uh, two years, two and a half years of being completely disconnected and, you know, not coming home for, for Thanksgiving or Christmas or birthdays or anything like that. You, you know, you just do, you, you have work to do. You have goals to achieve. You have things that you're doing. So those things come as secondary. Those are um, I, I don't mean to make it sound, you know, harsh, but those things in a lot of ways aren't as important in the moment. You have to make sacrifices. You have to, uh, you have to do these things. They're, they're non-negotiable. So you just do them. Um, you get over it. You, you toughen up. You, um, yeah, you grow exponentially by being away. And my biggest recommendation to any young person, go get away from home, experience the world, grow yourself be challenged. Um, but anyway, so I was back from Germany, um, May, 2019, around that time. And I just started to start looking for a team in the USL and cause I knew I could play at that level. There was no question about it, but I was then sending thousands of messages and emails and literally thousands and, uh, DMS, whatever you want to say, Instagram, LinkedIn, email, whatever I could find. I was trying to connect with people very low response rate. Um, Eddie Johnson was the, one of the few people that, ever answered me. And, uh, man, EJ, I'm forever grateful for you, man. You are, you are a special breed. You are one of a kind is a, uh, one of a kind is an understatement, but, um, <laughs> love you, man. Uh, I'll definitely get you on here sometime too. But, um, I went down to train and prepare for anything, you know, Eddie and I, we, uh, we connected on a work ethic standpoint. We, we connected on the technical and tactical side of the game. We saw the game very similarly. We, uh, we butted heads a lot. We challenged each other a lot. And he grew me so much. I learned so much from him when it comes to soccer and performance and 
just expectation and uh and, and what what environment of development feels like for soccer because i hadn't been in a lot of those you know there was environments in germany were were strong and tough and good but there wasn't a standard then and, and there isn't i mean there's a high standard but whenever you have someone that's focused only on you and not a team the standard becomes much higher and that's what we had with with eddie and i say we because i have two friends that are some of my best friends now justin and luke sexton and uh I love these men. They are, they're my family. We, we train seven, eight hours a day together every day. Uh, I'm not even joking in, in the summer in Orlando, moved down to Orlando, figured out housing. It was a crazy, crazy story as well. But, um, I figured it out. I ended up staying in uh, a couple different places throughout my tenure. It was about 10 months that I was in, uh, Orlando. So that was fun um challenging but it was it was tough uh in a different type of way i developed I, like i said earlier i thought i had created a shell this iron man where no one could break me but i realized that um things that eddie would say to me penetrated deep he he knew how to puncture me at the deepest level and i realized that if i let it affect me it hurts my performance. So what I did was I, I actually ended up, and I, this didn't happen overnight. It, I was very sensitive for a long time to things he would say, because I thought we were friends and he would say stuff. And I developed a toughness though that I, I never would have developed had it not been for him. So I'm eternally grateful, even though in the moments I, I was like, what is wrong with this guy? Why is he saying this to me? Why is he saying these hurtful things? But um, it was raw, it was raw emotion. Uh, but I developed a, a persona face of granite i call it where i just i numb everything out i don't feel anything you say to me nothing can affect me nothing can hurt me uh, um it, uh, there's an unbreakable point where i've learned to just block anything out and that's a very valuable skill the intensity was insane in that environment we we pushed each other mentally physically emotionally we were at each other's throats every day it was cutthroat we were world-class with every detail, everything, every pass, every touch, every, every run, every, every detail of every single drill we were obsessed with. We were, we developed and we mastered this craft and our mental frequency, the frequency at which we were operating was the, so if you have the elite people that are good at sport just say professionals we were the elite of the elite when it came to mental frequency where we were performing at now we were in an environment a very small environment but we were so focused on hyper growth and hyper development to be over prepared that very few people could have competed in the environment that we had created very very few but justin luke eddie and i we bled together we sweated together we yelled cried each other, screamed, laughed. Uh, we always had fun too. We always had fun. But everything we went through um, was to get better. We we balanced each other pretty well. I say pretty because we definitely had moments where we were very unbalanced. But we grew together and we created so many memories together. We did camps together. We challenged each other. And we were prepared for anything except uh, what ended up happening. And uh, it was rough. But this was like January 2020. We had talked with Eddie and he was going to help us and uh, open up his network to get us into uh, DC United preseason. And we were so excited about it. We were pumped. Um, we got so 
excited. We were so fired up because we were so prepared. We were so sharp. We were so ready. We've been training with a bunch of MLS players, and we just knew that that's where we belonged. That's that's who we were. We were MLS players. We just weren't on a contract yet. We were we were the the some of the best players in the country, and we knew it. And we were prepared to go in there and crush preseason. We went to a couple of preseason games they had down in Clearwater, and we were watching. We were like, dude, we're so ready. We're we're gonna step on that field. And we're gonna crush this. Um, and we just had to connect with the coach and uh, get in. We actually met him a couple uh, a couple of days before we were supposed to go there. And uh, great guy, uh, Ben Olson. Turns out to be a long story, but um, he he ended up talking with Eddie and he was like, dude, I don't know what's going on with the whole COVID thing, but we're not able to bring in any players for preseason. Um, we have to kind of stick with what we've got. The league's putting this restrictions on us, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Lockdowns, this and that. And we were just devastated. Whenever we heard this, we were devastated. It was out of our control. We had no control and no team was bringing in anybody. And the out of control part, out of our control was very difficult because we were all alpha males. And that's extremely hard for someone that's used to controlling things and manipulating what happens. It's very difficult when something's out of your control. You feel helpless in a lot of ways. And we were fucked. There's no other way to put it. We were fucked. We put all of our trust into one path and we were prepared for anything except what happened. <laughs> But looking back on it, isolation and independence were good things for us. And it was, it was okay. We were okay because we had developed discipline and work ethic and we were able to maintain our level. Even if we weren't as sharp as we were, we were able to maintain it. Um, and that, that was very valuable to all of us. But I have to say, I was depressed. I was angry. I was resentful. I was confused. I was... I, I was upset. I was, and all that negativity, it manifested itself in my body. I gained uh, some bad weight, even though I was still training. I just uh, wasn't in control of my eating habits. I was, I, I, I was depressed and I was sad and I was looking for emotional stability in food and it was, it was not good. Even though I was fit, I was too heavy for what I needed to be. And, um, but it, but isolation it forced me to look in the mirror and get accountable with myself. And it forced me to change. I, I traveled um, to trials in, the, in 2020 to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Florida. Um, I, I went, you know, to a bunch of different places. And, but there was just no interest. They were like, look, we don't, we don't, we're not really interested in, you know, bringing players in. Whatever the case may be. And I even, I, I in 2021, whenever I, I got an opportunity, I went on a, I would barely call it a trial. I mean, it was no players from the, from the, from this time period. We were there for a week. Um, no one ended up getting signed with Loudon. One player went to RGV and was, and absolutely crushed it. He's a stud with Phoenix rising. Now, um, another guy played in Dominican Republic, a bunch of guys played at, at great clubs, but no one got picked up from that thing. So, um, so I guess it wasn't a good fit. I guess you could say there wasn't any interest, but that club was struggling financially after the, after 2020 with lack of fans they had low, low revenue, whatever you want to say, um, whatever. 
just didn't work out. And I went to Memphis, Tennessee with a good friend of mine, Zach Gunaratnam Bailey. I know you listen to this, brother. Uh, what a trip to Memphis. We will definitely talk about that on here one day. But um, there was also no interest in Memphis. Memphis 901. I had a trial with them set up last year, 2021. Um, but whenever I got back from that, I was very frustrated. I was I was saddened. I was depressed. I was, I was like, what is, like, why did these clubs work this way? You know, and I, I had sent thousands and thousands of emails and text messages and DMs and LinkedIn messages, all these different things. And it was just like the soccer world just didn't want me. And that was, it sucked. It was such a bad, like, it felt that before, but it was like, this is like a new level. Like it was just, I knew it wasn't my ability. No one ever denied my ability. All the coaches, they were like, yeah, you're good. We're just not, you're definitely capable of playing professional. We have no doubt that you're at this level, but it's just not what we're looking for. We're not looking for this. We're not looking for that. And it sucks to hear that because you want your work to pay off, but sometimes it's not ready for you yet. It's not ready for who you are yet. Um, But anyway, I, I started training kids but actually rewind for a second that that's a very important message for people just because someone doesn't see value in you doesn't mean you don't have value just because a coach doesn't value what you bring to the table it doesn't mean you're unvaluable it just means his opinion is lower of you than what you bring okay that's important for you know young boys especially young girls to hear that have confidence in what you bring to the table. Don't let anyone tell you your value. Don't that's something my dad told me. I said, "Dad, if you could teach me one thing, you know, your if you could have told your 15-year-old self, what would you have said to yourself?" And he said, "Know your worth." And that is something that has rang true in my personal life. Whenever you develop yourself, you have a confidence. And whenever you go into the arena and someone says, "No, thank you." That is just their opinion. It doesn't mean that all your work is invalid. Remember that. Okay, I just want to really focus on that point for a second. But anyway, so I began training kids after I got back from the Loudoun and Memphis trials and um, started making money a little bit, saved some money, invested into myself, uh, invested into good habits, and, uh, and, and creating kind of an environment of development for these kids and showing them what, what it looks like to train like a professional. What does it feel like to, to pass a ball with the right thing? So it's very fulfilling teaching in that way and creating value. Um, but I know I don't want to do it forever. And um, I, I, I'm setting up things for a bigger future. Um, I have this podcast. Um, I'm very excited about this. I think that there's a lot of value that I have to add to the world, and this is a great medium to do so. And I'm excited to have conversations with all my friends who also have value, but they have no platform or uh, or voice, so to speak. And uh, I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited to see where this goes and where this grows. But um, but yeah, so right now, just a little life update. I have my training business. I have uh, my online health and wellness company that I'm, I'm working. I have this podcast. Uh, and I also have a really great opportunity to go with the Maryland Bobcats in NISA, the NISA League, the National Independent Soccer Association. Um, I have an opportunity that I'm, I'm going into preseason. It's not a trial. It's a, it's a preseason invite. Um, and I'm 
expecting to get signed from it. And I want to get signed as a, uh, as a professional in that organization. I think that they, they're, it's a grassroots club right now. You know, they're, they're starting, they just re they're relatively young club, like three years old, but they have really big aspirations. I know they're doing good things in their community as well. So I'm really excited to be a part of that organization. And, um, I'm excited for all my friends too, because a lot of my friends are doing the same thing. They they're going into trials, they're getting ready for preseason, and um, and I feel sharp, I feel ready, but I know I have a lot to give. And uh, working is fun when you're good at it. You know, this podcast and my soccer career and everything. Uh, something I want to continue to grow and to develop and to give and to add value because I want to influence people to be better. I want to influence people to, to grow and to become the best version of themselves. And I know that people need what I have right now. They need encouragement. They need a pat on the back. They need a challenge. They need uh, things to push them to get excited about and to, and, and I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to give and to create and to create independent thinkers that create solutions and develop leaders and become leaders because our world needs leaders now more than ever. So uh, I just want to leave you guys with that uh, independent thought, create solutions and develop leadership in yourself and in others. And until the next episode, remember, I just want you guys to follow the podcast, share it with a friend. If this, if you got any value from this, if you were educated, if you were entertained and I want you to turn on your notifications so that you can follow this podcast and be notified anytime it happens. Um, I know a lot of my friends will listen to this. And I just ask that, you know, I, I heard this from a guy named Andy Frizzell. There's a fee for the show. Share it. Spread this. Spread the good, this message. Um, it might be able to help someone. If you found any value in this whatsoever, if you were, like I said, if it, if it made you laugh, if you connected with it, if it made you think, if it made you challenged, any of those things, I want you to just share it. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run advertising at the moment. I just want this to spread organically. So. I want to see where it goes and um, I'm excited to connect more with you guys and I'm excited to build this community of people who are, who are obsessed with growth like I am. And I'm excited to be on this journey with you and um, just continue to pursue, pursue perfect. You know, this podcast is called pursuing perfect. It's not possible for anyone to attain perfection. We're not perfect people. It will never be possible to be perfect, but in pursuing that we get excellent at whatever it is that we're doing. So proud of you guys just want to keep this message rolling and um like i said share it follow it and uh turn on that post notifications ciao